Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is powerful, that you spoke the worlds into existence, that your word never returns void, that your word is like a double-edged sword, that it pierces our hearts, separates bone and marrow. We thank you that you are a careful surgeon with your word, and we pray this morning that you would use your care with your spirit to find that spot inside of us that needs to be healed, and that through your word, you would make us well. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. The sermon this morning is entitled, The Most Dangerous Thing About Us, and the text is James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. James 3, 1 through 12. Hear now the word of the Lord. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For all of us make many mistakes. Anyone who makes no mistakes in speaking is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check with a bridle. If we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Or look at ships, though they are so large that it takes strong winds to drive them, yet they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire! And the tongue is a fire. The tongue is placed among our members as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body, sets on fire the cycle of nature, and is itself set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species, but no one can tame the tongue, a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father, And with it, we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers and sisters. This ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and brackish water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, yield olives or a grapevine figs? No more can salt water yield fresh. This is the word of the Lord. July 2020, Charles de Gaulle Airport, Paris. Two planes come within 300 feet of colliding with each other. A United Airlines plane that was coming in from Newark was making its approach to land on runway 09L. At the same time, an EasyJet was preparing to take off from Spain from one runway 09 are. And due to an unfortunate slip of the tongue by the air traffic controller, the plane from Newark was told to land on the very same runway from which the plane leaving Spain was to take off, and the two planes nearly collided. Thankfully, the pilot was able to analyze the problem and be able to abort the landing, just barely avoiding a collision. An unintentional slip of the tongue nearly killed hundreds of people. Words are powerful. 
And because of that, words are dangerous. Although humans are not the only species that communicates, we are unique in the sense that we communicate with one another through vocal and written symbolic representations of thoughts and ideas. We use words. We have voices, the written word and the spoken word. And that is a unique gift, a unique gift that represents that we are made in the image of God because God is the God of the word. He spoke the world into existence by the word of His power. He created us in His image and He gave us this gift of language and speech. He gave us the power of the word. And James tells us this morning in our text that this God-given gift of speech, however glorious it may be, is also the most dangerous thing about us. This morning in our time together, I want you to see that truth. I want you to see actually three important truths about the tongue this morning. James, in this text, teaches us the following. He teaches us that the tongue is dynamic, that the tongue is problematic, and the tongue is emblematic. That's our outline this morning. The tongue is dynamic, the tongue is problematic, and the tongue is emblematic. Let's explore those three truths that James teaches us here and learn why the tongue is the most dangerous thing about us and also learn what God calls us to do about that fact. Truth number one, the tongue is dynamic. According to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, one of the adjectival definitions for the word dynamic is energetic or forceful. We use that of people to describe a person, right? They have a dynamic personality, a personality with force, a personality that changes things. The definition of dynamic as a noun, according to that dictionary, is that it's a force or factor that controls or influences a process of growth, change, interaction, or activity. In other words, something that is dynamic is powerful. It has force. It can change things. It moves. That's exactly how James describes our tongues. He describes them as really powerful, dynamic things. You hear that in verses 1 through 4. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for all of us make many mistakes. Anyone who makes no mistakes in speaking is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check with a bridle. If we put bits into the mouths of horses... To make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Or look at ships, though they are so large that it takes strong winds to drive them, yet they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. I love this text uh, of James. It's so it's emblematic of James in the sense of his use of illustrations. There's so many wonderful, vivid illustrations that James uses here, and he uses two of them right here to speak about the power, the, dynam the dynamism of our tongue, the dynamic nature of it. And you catch those as we were reading. One of them is he uses horses, right, and bits and bridles. And the other one is he uses ships with rudders. And What is he saying about them? What is the point of those illustrations? What he's saying is that these really small things, 
like a bit with regard to a horse or a rudder with regard to a ship, control these powerful and much larger things. And what James is saying is that's what our tongue is like. It is like that small member of our body that controls great things, has great force, outsized force. Something very little directs something very big, and that's what makes our tongue so powerful, so dynamic, so dangerous. I often grow weary at times of how our culture is so overly sensitive about everything, every particular slight. I worry about the lack of resiliency that we aren't building into children. And as we grow up, some type of resiliency to things. Everything needs to be washed. Everything needs to be a safe place. And it bothers me to see illiberalism growing, even in the places where it should flourish, like academic centers. I find it all rather unhealthy. But having said all that, I'm not sure we had it right in prior generations when we would teach our kids things like sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You probably learned that somewhere along the way. And it gives the idea that, well, words don't really matter. They can hurt us. Only physical things can hurt us. James says something very different. The Bible says something very different. The Bible says words are really powerful. As powerful as physical violence. In fact, the Bible uses metaphors of physical violence of, to, to speak about the power of words. Proverbs 18, verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 12, 18, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. Proverbs 15, 4, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. With their mouths, Proverbs 11, 9, with the mouths, the godless would destroy their neighbors. Proverbs 25, 18, like a war club, a sword or a sharp arrow is one who bears false witness against a neighbor. And I could go on and on and on. The Bible doesn't really uphold that saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. The Bible says words are dangerous. And how we use them matter. They are like weapons. Do you recognize that? Do you recognize your mouth is like a weapon? Your keyboard is like a weapon. Do you have that mindset about words, the biblical mindset about them? I grew up uh, in a household of sportsmen. My father was a sportsman. I spent my summers fishing, my falls hunting. My grandfather was that way. They both loved that time of year, this time of year. And I grew up and I was, uh, you know, I had a BB gun, I had my 22, I had my shotgun, I was trained in all of this. And one of the things that my father and my grandfather emphasized so powerfully is gun safety, how to handle a weapon appropriately. You never point a gun at anyone. You know how to hold it, barrel down to the ground. You always make sure the safety is on. You never have a loaded gun in the house or in the cabin where we were hunting. 
Why did they do that? Because it was a dangerous thing. It's inherently dangerous. It can be misused and misdirected so easily. And that is what the Bible says about our mouths. They're like loaded guns. They're really powerful. They can hurt and they can destroy. And so James is trying to get that through our head. And do you have that? Do you understand that? Do you live with that reality? And what if we did that? What if we all lived like our mouths were like a loaded gun? Words can change lives. They can destroy lives. They can heal. They can destroy And maybe in the sermon discussion, you can share about that. Maybe sometime where someone spoke to you in a way that changed your life for the better, or someone spoke to you in a way that crushed you, that traumatized you, or nearly destroyed you. Don't underestimate the power of a word. James says that our tongue is like a rudder that controls a whole ship or like a, pie, or like a, a rider that controls a horse to bit and bridle these small things that have outsized power. And you'll note that James starts this particular section on the power of the word, the dynamism, the dynamic nature of the tongue. He starts it out by going after those who teach. Stricter judgment will be on those who teach. And boy, that does that hit home for me. And I think about that every Sunday in the pulpit. Why? Why should stricter judgment be on me? Well, because I can do more damage. I can do more damage through teaching. That could be through false teaching, through unorthodoxy. It could just be through careless teaching. It could be the propagation of lies from the pulpit. It could be the misuse of the pulpit for a variety of things. And no one is perfect, and I certainly am not perfect. I remember a time I told a joke from the pulpit, and it was a joke that was told by a prominent theologian, maybe the most prominent theologian of the second half here in the 21st century, I would say, one of the most prominent theologians. I just repeated that. And I hurt somebody with that joke. I didn't need to have a joke in the sermon there. I didn't need to do that, and I did something. And, and you know, that's the kind of thing I think about every time I come up here. Stricter judgment comes upon those who teach, but James tells us here that this lesson is not just for the pulpit. It's for every single person here. You're all carrying a loaded gun. It's your mouth, it's your tongue, it's the words that you use. James reminds us how powerful they are. The Bible reminds us how powerful they are. It's like a weapon, that's the language the Bible uses. James uses here the idea of this outsized power, the rudder for the ship, the bit for the horse. That's what our tongue is. It's a lesson of the power of the tongue. It's a lesson for all of us. The tongue is dynamic. The second truth is, he gives us here in this text is that the tongue is problematic. It's problematic. Verses 5 through 8, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue is placed among our members as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body, sets on fire the cycle of nature, and is itself set on fire by hell. For every species of, the, of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species, but no one 
But no one can tame the tongue, a restless evil full of deadly poison. The tongue, according to James, is problematic. Not just dynamic, it's problematic. And the reason why it's problematic is because no one can tame it. No one. It's a universal. No one can tame the tongue. It's powerful, and you can't control it. It's powerful. And you can't control it. What's James saying? He's saying we're, we're riding horses, right? You ever ride a horse? They look kind of small on TV, right? It looks, looks pretty easy on TV. You ever stand next to one of those suckers? You ever get out of one of those? You ride a horse? And that thing gets away from you? Or piloting a ship, right? These things that so easily and we can't. James is saying that you can't control this thing. You can't tame it. When I was about 14, I was on the back of a snowmobile uh, with someone, and we were riding, and um, I knew he was going too fast. You ever been in that situation? You can't control, you're in the back, somebody's doing something, and I wanted him to stop, to slow it down. He didn't. We, we crashed the snowmobile into a tree. I didn't crash it. He crashed it into a tree. I was on the back. This is why I have trust issues to this day. <laughs> I will not get on the back of anything with anybody. I, I'm, I'm going to be, uh, I'm, I'm driving. So I was out of control in that moment. I had no control. But James is saying, you're piloting it. You're driving this and you don't have control. It's not that example. It's the other one. I'm driving this thing. You are in control of your tongue, but you're not in control of your tongue because you can't tame it. And that's what makes it problematic. It's powerful and you can't control it. And James, again, uses these wonderfully vivid illustrations here he uses the illustration of a forest fire and we can get this right we know what happens out west almost every year verses five and six james says how great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire and the tongue is a fire how many stories have we heard about forest fires out west getting started by you know uh, somebody didn't extinguish their their little campfire or whatever one spark and you have a conflagration. You have this amazing bursting out of flame and fire. And James says, that's what our tongue is like. The tongue is a fire. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire. Our words are like that, James tells us, like a forest fire. Our words are a spark. That's what makes them so dangerous. Powerful, but you can't control it. No one can tame it. And so our words become dangerous. Martha Moore Kish, in her commentary on James, talks about the Dangerous Speech Project, this organization that looks at speech. And this is not particularly hate speech. There's a difference here. Dangerous speech is something on a bigger level, something that moves people. It's usually a form of political speech, speech that brings people to violence. And she describes there, this organization describes there are five factors that lead to dangerous speech. The power of the speaker, the grievance of the audience, the explicitness of the call to violence, the particular social context, and the means of distributing the words. Dangerous speech, those five factors. 
and you see it around the world. And they cite different examples of this. This is one of the examples on that website from the Dangerous Speech Project. It was the 2007 Kenyan political elections, and the political leaders described other ethnic groups in terms that made their own followers despise and fear them. For example, they referred to other Kenyans as spots or stains and weeds. And you see, you make that with a powerful speaker in a big audience, and you have a big medium, which we have now because of the internet, because of social media. And you have a, a social context in which things are, you know, the, the, the kindling is, is, is dry, right? It's ready to, to take a spark and ignite. And you have grievance in the audience. You've got a dangerous situation, a place of dangerous speech. And in those times, you need the most careful type of speech possible. Now, I've just cited something from Kenya. But I could cite something from yesterday. The way our political leaders speak today about our own people, about other people. What are we doing? We are on the way to becoming some type of undeveloped banana republic type of nation. This type of speech is dangerous and someone will be killed. And we need to think about that. No one can tame the tongue. No one. And politicians and preachers should know better. That's why they should be under stricter judgment. But James isn't talking to politicians, and he's not talking to preachers necessarily here. He's talking to everyone, every Christian. He's talking to you and me. He's saying, you can't tame this thing. He's saying, you're carrying around a loaded gun that you can't control. Now, if that's the case, if you really believe the Bible, you've come here because you're telling me you're Christians, and you've come to this particular church because we preach the Scriptures, because we think that they're inspired by God, that they have authority. Well, I've read to you what the Scripture says this morning. It talks about the danger as a danger of a weapon that you have. James has just told you this is really powerful, and you can't control it. You can't get it back once it's out, right? Once you put it out there, whether it's online or whether it's out of your mouth. I was having coffee with Adam this week, and I, I put too much cream in my coffee. And I kind of said to him, you know, you can't, once you put cream in coffee, you can't get it back out, right? You can always add more, but once it's in, you can't take it back out. And I told him, I'm going to use that as a sermon illustration someday. <laughs> I'm using it today. <laughs> That's it, right? It's like cream in your coffee. You can't take it back out. Once you say it, it's out there. It's doing its damage. It's the spark that may light a fire. So what do you do in response to that? As Christians, we should be biased towards silence. Careful. Keep the barrel pointed down. Henry Nouwen put it this way, he said, the most frequent argument for silence is simply that words lead to sin. 
right? We all agree sin is bad. The most frequent argument for silence is simply that words lead to sin. Not speaking, therefore, is the most obvious way to stay away from sin. You want to reduce the sin in your life, be quiet more often. The connection is clearly expressed, now one writes, by the Apostle James. James leaves little doubt that speaking without sinning is difficult and that if we want to remain untouched by the sins of the world on our journey to the eternal home, silence is the safest way. Take Aaron Burr's advice from Hamilton, at least the first part of it, talk less. That's all of you that know that? Come on. Smile more. Talk less. Smile more. Calvin Coolidge said this, I have noticed that nothing I never said ever did me any harm. Lincoln put it a little more eloquently. Better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak out and remove all doubt. Silence. But it's not just these folks who said this. It's God. God says this. Proverbs 10, 19, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but the prudent are restrained in speech. That's God's wisdom. The more you talk, the more you're going to sin. The less you talk, the less you will sin. It's really as simple as that. Being prudent, being restrained in our speech, it should be a mark of the Christian And the reason we want to do that is because we understand this problematic nature of the tongue, how dangerous it is. Now here's a chance where I could maybe say something stupid, so I'll put it in the category of opinion. I'm not speaking gospel here. But the whole issue of social media And I think about it as a parent, and I've made a lot of mistakes as a parent. I'm not setting myself up as any type of paragon of parenthood. But one of the things I think I got right was not allowing my children on social media until they were 18, adults. Just as much as I wouldn't let them drive before they should drive, or vote before they should vote, or drink before they should drink. It's worth thinking about. If this is true, what the Bible says is true, do we want to take people who are not fully developed and put them on that type of platform? Now, what about you adults and what you do on social media? What about Proverbs 10, 19? When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but the prudent are restrained in speech. How does that apply to what you're doing on social media? And why are you doing it? To convince the other side? Has it ever worked? What is the good of it? And if it has no good, if it's not noble, not beautiful, not lovely, why are you doing it? What is it doing? And is it good for you? Is it healthy? Or are you simply multiplying your opportunities to sin? Are you putting the cream in the coffee that you're never going to get back out? The tongue is dynamic. It's powerful. It's problematic because we can't tame it. That's an important thing for us to grasp. Truth number two, the tongue is problematic. Now truth number three, the final one. The tongue is emblematic. Emblematic. What do I mean by that? 
Well, usually when we use that word emblematic, we're talking about something that represents something else, a greater concept or idea. The Collins uh, Dictionary uses this little sentence uh, to give an example. Dogs are emblematic of faithfulness, right? This thing that speaks about a bigger concept, another concept. It reveals something else. It's symbolic of it, representative of it. In our text this morning, James tells us that our tongues are emblematic of our spiritual maturity, our spiritual health, our spiritual well-being. Verse 9 through 12, with it, that is the tongue, we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers and sisters. This ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and brackish water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, yield the olives or a grapevine figs? No more can salt water yield fresh. What's he saying? James is saying how we use our words reveals who we are in Christ, our level and state of spiritual maturity. He's telling us that that reveals something about us. You all heard about that L.A. City Council debacle, right, where these people who publicly sit there and support all of these wonderful kind of racial diversity and multicultural, you know, every possible thing, and then they're tape recorded in this private conversation spewing forth these type of hateful things. Now, watch one of those is really revealing what's going on inside a person's life and their heart. Well, James tells us this is true of us. How can we have the same mouth, bless God, and curse those who are made in His likeness? When we do that, that, that kind of asymmetry, if you will, in our words, when we, when we take the same mouth, it, it, it shows that something is wrong. That there's a lack of spiritual health, a lack of spiritual maturity in us. And James, again, uses those powerful illustrations. A freshwater spring shouldn't produce salt water or brackish water. And then he uses fig trees and grapevines. What should they produce? They should produce figs and they should produce grapes. Not the other way around. A fig tree shouldn't give you olives. Then why are you, Christian, with your mouth, blessing God and cursing other people? Because something's wrong. Something's immature. Something's not clicking right here. You have this asymmetry going on. Jesus said it's not what goes into us, it's what come out, comes out of us that matters. And so the tongue is emblematic of what's going on in our lives. It reveals that something is wrong with us. And I'm afraid to think about what my tongue sometimes reveals about me. Now, what are we going to do about that? How do we fix that? How do we get better at that, where we, don't, where we reduce the level of, of asymmetry in our speech? Well, we've already talked about silence, which is a good option for us, but James really, I'm not sure, is advocating necessarily silence here. I think he's calling for a corrective, some type of governor. How do we learn to speak like mature Christians? That's really the question he's asking. He wants us to use our tongues properly. How do we learn to do that? Well, let me tell you one way we can do that, and you're doing it right now. 
This should be the place where you learn to speak like a Christian. This is the place where you should learn to speak like a mature Christian. This is the place where you should learn righteous speech in church, in corporate worship. That's exactly what Jeffrey Myers says in his commentary about this, that one of the most important things about church is it helps us learn how to have godly speech. Why? Because we're using God's Word. This is where you're filled with God's Word. This is where you sing God's Word. This is where you pray God's Word. This is where you read God's Word. This is where you hopefully hear preached God's Word. And that helps to shape you. Meyer says, first of all, participate regularly in vibrant and responsive corporate worship. He writes, when we sing songs of praise to God, we are trained to confess His glory with our lips. When we confess our sins together with the rest of God's people, we are trained to speak in humility and reject pride. Don't underestimate the power of liturgy. You need to be in a church with liturgy. All churches have it, really. You need to be in a church with good liturgy that leads you through that process, that teaches you how to speak like a mature Christian. Secondly, Myers says, learn to sing, chant, and speak the Psalms. The Psalms are the corporate worship book of God's people. Amen to that. I've spoken to you about my time in, in a, where I sang psalms exclusively in worship, and I'm not suggesting we do that, but let me tell you, there's something powerful about it because you know you're not singing the words of Fanny Crosby, you're singing the words of God. And God's Word sanctifies, and you know that the words that come out of your mouth are God's Word, and so that you know you are speaking with a level of righteousness and maturity And then thirdly, he suggests praying for our friends, God's enemies, and the world, that when we pray the Scriptures, we pray as Jesus taught us to pray, he writes, and the historic prayers of the church, our own extemporaneous prayers, our tongues are trained to speak words of blessing and mercy. You want to learn how to grow as a Christian. This is the place where you learn that. This is how we learn to to tame our tongue. That's what part of worship is for. The tongue is dynamic. The tongue is problematic. The tongue is emblematic. It tells us about our spiritual maturity. James wants us to learn to tame our tongue. He calls us to learn to tame our tongue. But then at the same time, he tells us no one can tame their tongue. He's asking us really to do something impossible. From all that you've seen, all the illustrations he uses. No one can do this. Why does the Bible do that? Why does it give us things that we can't do? No one can do this. No one except Jesus. That's why the Bible gives you these things. To make you look to Jesus, because in Jesus you find the one who does what we cannot do. That's the gospel. That's what it means, and it's true here. Out of him always flowed fresh water. He was a fig tree that produced only figs. He always spoke righteous words. And he understood the redeeming power of silence. 
He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. None of us can tame the tongue. But Jesus can, and he did. So like all things that God requires of us, We make our advances in the Christian life and sanctification and spiritual maturity not by striving in our own power, but through faith in Jesus, through our union with Him, through His Word and His Spirit. Through Jesus, we can learn to do what we cannot do in our own power. That is the promise of the Gospel. That is the heart of the Gospel. And one of the things we can learn through Christ is to better tame our tongue. To speak as God speaks to us. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do pray this morning that Christ would so fill our lives, that the Spirit would be so vibrant within us, producing so much fruit through us, that we would grow, Lord that we would be better able to control the power of our tongue, to use it for good instead of ill. Help us through Christ, in Christ, and by Christ to grow, to be wise, to restrain our speech, and that when we speak, we will do so in wisdom, in grace, in love, and in truth. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.